0: Welcome, one and all, to your movie-reviewing and reappraising genre-hopping podcast, Be Real. Guys, my name is Chance Solemn-Pfeiffer.
1: And I am Noah Ballard.
0: (laughs) That was quite the declaration for yourself. And uh, this is our Meat cute is it not?
1: Oh, it's definitely our Meat cute And definitely one of us will be dead by the end of this. (laughs)
0: Or maybe it's like our 40th something meet cute, I can't recall But welcome to the show, all the same We have a great genre for you uh, this time around
1: Well, I saw a theatrical trailer uh, for the film South Side with You The Barack Obama, Michelle Robinson love story And I was like, oh, that's a, you know, and it has the conceit that it's like all during one day It's their first date Um, And so I was just like, oh, why not? are there other like romance movies that do that? And the other two I could think of were Before Sunrise and then uh, A Single Man.
0: Right. And One Fine Day does it too, which I watched, but we decided to scrap.
1: I couldn't for the life of me find One Fine Day like available anywhere, like even to like pay money for it.
0: I personally found it not very good, so it's probably for the best.
1: Yeah, but I I told my mom that we weren't doing that one, and she's like, it's such a fun film. And I'm like, oh god, I'm so happy I didn't do it.
0: <laughs> um yeah, it's like low grade Nancy Myers.
1: Is it Nancy Myers?
0: So, no. Low like,
1: oh, like, a, like a, a bad off. imitation.
0: Yeah, it gets like really into gender politics instead of like skating atop them, which is like not great territory anyway yeah. um a nancy but, mayer's
1: so s- movie if you will
0: <laughs> exactly <laughs> um but Southside with you is our main event and uh to discuss it we have brought on a guest and if uh should we get to that conversation now
1: sounds like a plan to me big guy
0: Michelle thought it wasn't a date it isn't going to an awful lot of trouble for just another smooth talking brother
1: he's a summer associate I told y'all about the one from Harvard Law he invited me to a community uh, event so what's this boy's name Barack Obama Barack Obama
0: well our guest today is the lead film critic for LA weekly and her work has also appeared in the village voice the Atlantic and vice She's a screenwriter, fiction writer, and uh, founder of One Acts, a Los Angeles-based film, theater, TV collective for women writers, directors, and performers. April Wolf, welcome to the
2: show. Hi, thanks for having me on.
0: Uh, we appreciate you uh, coming on. Um, so your review, which I loved, um, of Southside with you, um, came out in The Village Voice, uh, I think, last week. You start the review by kind of... Um, Pontificating uh, a little bit jokingly, if um, like if there is a clamor for a, a Donald Trump version of his um, his marriage meet cute, um, but I, f- I felt like that was a, a cool place to start because it does sort of um, point out like this is it is sort sort of bizarre to make a romantic date movie about a sitting president and very politicized figure. Did that hit you at any point? In the movie, or did you? Was that something you thought about when you first heard it was coming out?
2: Um, I mean, when I first heard it was coming out, it was, you know, it's it's an oddity um, that's never been done before. But you have to be when you're when you're dealing with indie films and you've got a low budget, you need to be really daring with story, and so that's what we're seeing um, coming into a lot of festivals with indie films. And so uh, Richard Chan, who uh, wrote and directed this, or rather co-wrote. you know, he, you can you can tell that there's a certain amount of daring because he had started working on this, I think, back in 2009. So this has been a like a long time coming. So could you imagine if it had come out, you know, in the in his first term as president? That would be even stranger.
0: I'm curious, as far as this genre, what qualities in your mind are essential to the success of uh, a very minimal talky two-person? one day romance and, and which ones do you think, uh, Southside does well?
2: Um, you know, I think the, the thing that Southside does that, um, you know, that you see in like before sunset and, and, you know, one fine day and everything else is that there's, um, a, an up and down in the narrative where, um, uh, and this is very, it's usually extremely realistic where, um, these two characters, like you think everything is going fine. And then one of them says something really strange because they don't know each other that well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like there's, there's a breakdown in communication. And so it, you know, it has like these peaks and valleys of like understanding and then coming back together and then misunderstanding and, you know, going, going back and forth. And so I think that that's one of the things that you have to have in these movies. Cause you know, there's just not that much going on. Right. You know, and, and I do think that South Side with you, uh, it, it does have that because it starts these characters kind of on a, on a rocky slope because Barack Obama isn't particularly likable as a character.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's not very respectful of uh, Michelle's like wishes and boundaries for this uh, meetup at all.
2: I think the movie works well in when he is, he's being arrogant And that arrogance gives, um, you know, Tika Sumpter playing uh, Michelle Obama, gives her a license to kind of step up and be a little bit less prim and proper. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sumpter as Michelle Obama is a really interesting um, performance because it is pretty stilted, and you see her really gravitating towards the fact that, you know, Michelle Obama might be... uh, you know, a little bit more straight-laced.
0: I don't know if if you agree with this. I sort of felt like her performance was, like, very intentional. Like, she's definitely doing a much better vocal impression of Michelle Obama than Parker Soros is doing of Barack. Um, and I think it felt like a lot more... Um, her, she felt so much more deliberate in that way, but that's probably the character as well.
2: Yeah, it's it's tough to, to separate, you know, what what is... Um, what's her artistic choice and what might be something that's a little bit off the mark. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you can tell that she is being um, very mindful about how she's portraying Michelle. But one thing that really just got me was the, her enunciation. Totally. Because God, I hate to be like dissecting this so much, but um, the enunciation, you know, being from the Midwest, and uh, you know, having grown up pretty close to Chicago, uh, it's it's really tough to hear those T's pronounced so much. Um, <laughs> both, us, both Tika Sumpter and um, Richard Tan are from uh, the East Coast; they're from the New York area, and um, I, <laughs> part of me feels like there's something that they've misread mm. in this in in the regionality um, because. You know, I, I do think that one thing that makes Michelle Obama so amazing just as a human being is that she does have this kind of like Midwestern real roots. And, you know, she doesn't articulate um, her, uh, her tease, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to death. And, um, and it kind of makes her feel more, um, you know, warm and inviting. But at the same time, you can tell that Tika is probably making some choices to make her feel um, you know this character of Michelle Obama make her feel a little bit more rigid.
0: I, I, that kind of leads me to to another thing I, I wanted to ask you about, which I I wasn't really sure, um, watching it whether success for this movie, um, was making you forget that these were that these are going to be two of the most famous people in the world, or if it was like constantly sort of reminding you of that by forecasting it, or if it should have been a a dance between the two.
2: Uh, I think you you can't you can't separate the two. I'm like I'm still I still have a hard time like understanding like w- how I'll feel about this movie in ten years. You know, right? It's, I have no idea. Only time will tell. But he's he's definitely being helped along by um, you know the Obamas already being in the spotlight mm-hmm. and continually you know people already loving them. Although if you don't love them, this movie's not going to change your mind. Do you think this movie
0: got like propagandic anywhere? I
2: mean it's definitely for for a specific person. I mean you Uh think about like like those left behind series of movies where (laughs) it's just like well yeah, it was made was not made for me. It's made for someone else. It's it's only for us. It's like um it kind of feels special in a way because of that. Sure. sure. Like you're in like a little club where you love the Obamas, and so now you get a feature film about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, an incredible double feature, by the way. I think would be Southside with You and Left Behind. What an interesting night that would be.
2: <laughs> and actually, there's, um, you know, there's also a new movie coming out. I think it's premiering at uh, TIFF this next week, um, starring another young Barack Obama. Really yeah it is uh sorry the name is escaping me right now, but it's about his his time in college so it's it's pre michelle
0: let me let me duck back then and ask you a, a sort of a similar um question on the on the on the negative side where this genre is concerned, maybe what this movie doesn't pull off and if i could if I could maybe lead you a little bit um with something I sort of felt about it is the dialogue just kind of like not quite up to snuff for as, like, successfully talky as these movies have to be?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not realistic. Right. You know, and in my review, I talk about its, like, stylized nature, because these people feel like they are in a a world that is not Southside Chicago. Even Mm -hmm. though it's, like, about Southside Chicago, it doesn't feel like they're there. It feels mm-hmm. like everyone's been kind of like they're on like a stage or something.
0: If I can read, if I can read that the like the two sentences you wrote about this, it's my favorite part of the review. Um, the main cast and few supporting players often come off as stylized versions of reality, like the community activists present for Barack's speech who present curiously impeccable diction's of purposely broken grammar. Uh, and then in parentheses, you say there's a larger and more meta conversation about code switching here that someone might ask Tan about, um, which I feel is. Such a sort of great um, side note in the review, uh, and I wondered if you would uh, kind of be willing to unpack that a little bit. Because it did feel like there was this, I don't know, maybe like an anxiety about getting this right that like led to, um, I don't know, some some kind of like uneasy Performances in in like a in a communal space where you would have felt or maybe you should have felt that everyone was like very comfortable and open with each other.
2: Yeah, I I would say that 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 you know that particular scene is a little bit uneasy. I think when we talk about um, code switching, which you know, I guess if you don't know what code switching is, it's just how you know people who are non-white have to. Uh, inexplicably, speak white when they are speaking to white audiences, or sometimes speak more like the you know the stereotypical um, versions of their uh, race or ethnicity when they're around other people. Um, and so, you know, code switching in this movie, I would love to ask Richard Tan about because uh, you know, Tan is white, right? So you have a white writer director who's working with primarily um, uh, black um, actors. Except for, uh, uh, one couple that comes in at the end who's white. Um, I think they might be the only white people with speaking roles in this, which I was like, oh, cool. I think that when you've got a white writer director working with black actors primarily and they're also working, you know, on two characters who have to do their fair share of code switching because they, um, you know, they're upwardly mobile. Um, African-Americans who have to, like, in their law environment, you know, these characters and the real people have to, you know, maybe speak more white or, like, cleaner. And then they will sometimes have to go back to, like, their Southside Chicago, which, if you're familiar with Southside Chicago, is, uh, you know, middle-class to um, lower-income African-American predominantly neighborhood. And it's, it's also a really wonderful place. But there's not a whole lot of code switching that we can see in this movie specifically. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like, uh, the way that Barack and Michelle speak in this movie around their, um, black friends and neighbors and family is extremely similar to, to how they're speaking to the white boss that they run into later on. Right. Right. Um, and then when you're in that scene with, um, the community activist, uh, Mm -hmm everyone is speaking on their best behavior, you know? It's almost like you're watching a play sometimes. Plays will do this um, on the stage, in the theater. They kind of, like, elevate the diction in the language. Um, So there's not a whole lot of realism in that. But at the same time, you know, as a white writer and director, you don't want to be like, hey, talk more ghetto. Right. I could see how that would be, like, really strange because... You know, and then also there there might be something where like the actors are performing for a white writer director. You know, like there's mm-hmm. so many meta things that could be happening in this. That <laughs> totally. Well, and i mean, it's strange.
0: And everything they do that day is so sort of like steeped in the Black American culture of 1989. I mean, in terms of like going going to the Ernie Barnes exhibit and seeing Do the Right Thing, um, and yeah, I mean even you know, with the best of intentions, you would think that Richard Tan and, and maybe the the people around him would just, could feel a level of, like, anxiousness about kind of, like, pulling this off without pulling too far one way or the other.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. There, so there is an anxiety about this. I mean, you also, I mean, you want to be truthful about these people, but you don't want to feed into lies that, like, the, you know, far right have been pushing in their, you know little internet channels so it's it's difficult it's a it's a difficult line to ride um which is why i think it's good that uh tan had um tika sensor who also produced it so hopefully she was able to infuse you know like some sort of reality into that but still you have to wonder you know
0: well, April, what's the uh, <laughs> what's the takeaway here? You, you, Village Voice, uh, in that story, you, you didn't have to like add a grade or anything so arbitrary as that. But uh, how did you, for people should go read your review? But what do you ultimately uh, walk away from this movie uh, thinking and feeling?
2: Um, I feel like it's you, you know, despite the things that we were talking about. Um, you know, whatever might be perceived as negative, I, I do feel like that there is a certain amount of kind of um, artistry in maintaining this kind of suspended disbelief. You know, like this kind of magic, and so it's it's certainly cheesy. This is a this is a hokey premise and a hokey uh, you know execution, but there's also something really wonderful about you know. Watching a lifetime movie where there's real romance, and <laughs> you know this, this kind of this kind of pulls all of those things together. Except for you do have some great actors, and you do have um, you know a wonderful soundtrack. It's a nice slice of life. If you're going, if you're gunning for some sort of you know like a life affirming message, it might not be there. But this is it's a sweet and romantic film, and and you know he Richard Tan did accomplish that.
0: There you go. There you go. Um, well, April, thanks so much for uh, talking, about, uh, talking about this movie and, and coming on the show. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Shouldn't we be getting to the meeting?
1: Uh, we have some time. I thought we'd swing by the art center, see some paintings, maybe grab a bite to eat. This is not a date. How's it going to look if I start dating the first cute black guy who walks through the firm's doors? It would be tacky. You think I'm cute? I didn't say that. You can tell by
0: so Noah. sir. Were you as inclined to Before we get into the actual movie Or our reviews of it Were you as
1: inclined to root for this movie as I was? Well as like a consummate and, You know unabashed uh, Fan of our current President Barack Obama Yes I like couldn't help but think that Or hope that this movie would be like Oscar worthy <laughs> Because it has, like, a certain patina on it And if you look, like, in the theatrical trailer It could be, like, it could be really good
0: Is that patina just that, like, most of it's shot with, like, twilight light, though?
1: Oh, yeah, it's all shot in great light (laughs) And it's the story of the first date of Barack Obama and Michelle Robinson So it has that going for it
0: I feel like it took its big big leap, which was just to make the story about this Right And knowing full well what the history would entail and how faithful um, it wanted to be to the history. I don't know. I think a little fictional freelancing uh, in terms of maybe people they had ran into on that day. I feel
1: like it's got to be like an aggregation of like their first five dates.
0: Exactly. I think it would have helped because my big issue, um, other than the do the right thing at the end... Nothing that they do in the course of the day Like then like pivots them a certain way Which is exactly what happens in something like Before Sunrise Right
1: well by the end of Before Sunrise They've reached such a ridiculous point That because of this the situation that he has to get on or she has to get on this train he has to get on this plane Like there's actual drama there Whereas this one yeah. like there. That's what I had such trouble with is like the conceit has such low stakes, both for the audience and for the people on screen, because it's just like, here's a first date. Mm -hmm. A lot of first dates go badly and some of them go well. But then for us thinking like we know this is going to be a great first date because we know that they're married and they seem very happy. Yeah, I just and then the ending to me, not to spoil it, because again, Michelle and Barack Obama are married (laughs) He like she's mad at him because they run into the boss and she's like made a whole thing about they can't actually date each other because, you know, people at the office will think less of her and she's worked so hard and everything like that. And then, of course, on their date, they run to somebody from work and there's like sort of an awkward not only like awkward sexual politics moment, an awkward sort of racial moment. Sure oh yeah And then for some reason
0: The law firm that they're working at Like he's an old white guy
1: Right And so Michelle's reaction to this, like, awkward social and sexual and racial moment is to, like, kind of be cold and weird. And Barack just, like, leans in. He sort of tells the guy, like, what he wants to hear. And the guy, like, Mm -hmm. goes away satisfied while sort of judging uh, Michelle for either being cold or the fact that she's out with Barack Obama, who's, like, her subordinate.
0: But I think that raises that conversation raises another like possibility of where this movie could have been better too is that this movie doesn't have a great point of view and from where it starts and where it ends with like the the stakes kind of belong to Michelle in a professional sense right. as you just stated so you think it should be sort of this movie where like we see Barack Obama through her while sort of realizing that Barack is taking her and like her ambitions for granted, yeah. but the movie doesn't stick to that. Well, either. that's the
1: weird thing about the movie because it opens with Michelle as the protagonist, because it gives you mm-hmm. the most information about her family, like her weird sort of dynamic with her family and her her uh, her sick father, and like you know stuff about that. And she's like trying to make herself look nice, and she has that exchange with her mother that she always like wants to look nice, and like we get something about her dynamics with people, and then we cut to Barry. And, like, all we know about him is he's like a working landline phone, and damn it, he loves cigarettes.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a moment, though, where, like, if you are in this movie for the idea of visual fan fiction, right. um, there's some good fist pumps of Barack just sucking down cigarettes.
1: Can I talk about something? Sure, man. I thought all the acting was so bad. Really? Well, I thought maybe I couldn't decide if the screenplay, like the lines are just bad, or it's the acting. I got so like fed up with the way like how precise like the Michelle Obama actress like said everything with enunciation. Don't you understand me? Yeah. And it was just like I mean you're you, I mean, you sound the way Michelle Obama sounds when she's making a speech, but not like the way she probably sounds, you know, talking to someone in a park.
0: That's a big nugget of like one of my biggest problems, like with a first date movie, is when you're watching a movie that's like fundamentally about two people talking to each other. The director and writer better make a find a way to make it seem personal. And this movie is so impersonal yeah. from like beginning to end. Yeah. And so before we get to our uh, our ratings about Southside with you, we thought, here's a nice little explainer of how our system works that we're going to plug into uh, every episode now, because if you're new, you might want to know what the heck we're talking about. And if you're a regular listener, this explains it way faster than we could live. Let's do it.
1: All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first, good or bad, refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure.
0: Good good is easy. Things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again. Like watching The Departed or Jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good good movies make Noah say... Love that.
1: Bad bad is easy too. Things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild Wests, a conceptual double album of Christian pop-punk. Bad, bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that.
0: Good, bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good, bad
1: is about being an adult,
0: and these kinds of movies make Noah say,
1: I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, Bad Good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation... Honey? Kids? ...and Deep Blue Sea. Bad Good movies make Chance say...
0: But it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. This is just a... it's a movie I really wanted to like it's a mo- but it's a movie i was surprised how many people liked nobody really took this movie to task and that could just be because of the politics of like film critics it could be because it's trying to be charming and the stakes as you put it are so low but like even with me like a fan of like what this of these people and what this should have been like i was not entertained and and a talking i mean the other key to pulling these kinds of date movies off is the dialogue just has to be so good and it's just And if this is not it's just not um so i don't know a soft bad bad for me probably
1: I'm gonna give it bad good only because of the John Legend song at the end, which is just so goddamn good. Like you've watched the movie, you don't really understand why it ends where it ends, and then like John Legend in falsetto, like sings you the most like beautiful song you've ever heard. That's good enough to win
0: you the entertainment. And I was
1: so by the end of the, I I usually turn the credits off, but for this one, I like I wrote it out. and listens to the rest of the song and then put it on my spotify and have listened to it several times since well john
0: legend got a production credit on this movie
1: so he was a producer like (laughs) not even an executive producer like a real producer
0: um yeah okay so bad good from you
1: um yeah i'm gonna give it a very soft bad good (laughs) like one song over the line bad good one John Legend song over the line for me.
0: All right, man. Well, I can accept that. Should we uh, should we move on to Before Sunrise?
1: I would love nothing more.
0: We're talking now about Before Sunrise, the 1995 uh, Richard Linklater film that sparked the trilogy, though not intentionally at the time, which will be interesting to talk about, uh, Before Sunset and Before Midnight, which followed uh, with nine-year Gaps, just like the other two. It stars Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy, and this one opens with uh, Hawke and Delpy, um, Jesse and Celine, uh, on a train uh, that stops in Vienna. And through pure serendipity, Delpy changes seats to sit next to uh, Ethan or Celine to sit next to Jesse, and uh, he asks her, on a total lark, if she would like to get uh, off the train in Vienna, and they spend 24 hours together uh, knowing that it will be up in 24 hours because Ethan Hawke has to catch his his flight back to the States. So that's uh, that's where we start.
2: Talking seriously here. I mean, I, I always feel this pressure of being a strong and independent icon of womanhood and not making making look like my, my whole life is revolving around some guy. But loving someone and being loved means so much to me. I always make fun of it and stuff. But isn't everything we're doing in life a way to be loved a little more?
1: So, whereas uh, uh, Southside with you did not have what Chance criticized at the, like, the dialogue and the snappiness and like the stakes of uh, a better film, I think this is the better film in question of this like, model... Oh, absolutely. Uh, because, like, just the dialogue is so snappy. And, like, the situations they get into are neither hokey, like, nor unmeaningful. hmm And, yeah, it doesn't feel premeditated, but they also, like, they're enough to serve sort of these moments in the plot that they need so it doesn't get boring.
0: Yeah, it, it, it is a good movie. It's interesting. So I'd never seen any of the before movies before. And we were just going to do this one for the pod. And I like almost stopped. And then I just kind of clicked on before sunset, which if you have, if you have that experience yourself, you can never look at this movie the same way quite again.
1: So maybe I should have stopped. Oh, did it ruin it for you? No,
0: it makes it feel, I think more significant than before sunrise on its own makes this incident feel like, and you know, the thing I love about, Linklater dialogue is not that the things you're saying are super intelligent or that you agree with them all. But what makes Linklater dialogue perfect is that it always seems like it's the illusion is perfect. It's always coming from the characters. Right. You never, never see the writer's hand. That's,
1: I mean, that's the great thing about him as a director is that like he can create some <clears throat> excuse me. He can create some interesting characters that have like questionable beliefs, but they're always the characters. And yeah. it's never to like please the audience. And I think that's why he's like I mean, why he's a master, but also why he's never been like a huge commercial success.
0: Case in point, Jesse and Celine for as close as they are the entire time, they never say each other's names in the movie, which is just great writing, and you don't need that kind of forced like look at me, Jesse. Like you have the intimacy has gotten you all the way there.
1: Yeah. No, it's really sharp. He did a, a terrific job. And it's just well shot. And I think Vienna, like sort of the way that Chicago sort of lent itself to the nice uh, visuals in South Side with you, Vienna definitely does this movie a huge favor. Austria has that weird sense of uh, there could be something like happening anywhere. Yeah. Like they're unsafe almost.
0: Yeah, like it's so bohemian and open that there could be a risk somewhere
1: Right, like any of these encounters, like these people, they all basically turn out to be nice people But there's a moment where they could like kill them Like I was thinking in the scene where he like talks to the bartender, like that could really go anywhere Sure And that's what I think is so brilliant about it
0: Yeah, it's the idea, well, it's the atmosphere of the date Extended to everything around the date Like, anything could happen, line to line, question to question Uh, Celine could decide she hates this guy and just walk away
1: Yeah Well, you find out that he's been sort of emotionally damaged And he was, like, in Europe for a couple months To reconcile this, uh, this relationship that he sort of chased out there But it turned out that, like, she'd been seeing other people And, like, didn't really want to be around him and this was his sort of decompression period. And then he meets her. So, of course, he's going to like put a lot of importance on her, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Which is such an interesting... He catches... I, I feel like he Link later catches men at very interesting moments in their lives. Well, intentionally. That's what I'm saying. But I think he has, like... Well, when he draws characters, he's very good at finding them. And I just watched... Um, uh, everybody wants some um, which we'll talk about uh maybe next week yeah um that th- he just catches these it's a, a quintessential college movie but he catches the guys in it like at such interesting moments in their personal trajectories mm-hmm. that you just care about them because it's like oh that kind of that's weird and relatable but also kind of fucked
0: yeah it seems very close and very far away at the same time. Right. Like, you're watching it and you sort of... What's interesting, it's like the running commentary in, like, these very, like, incident or time-based Linklater movies is your own. It's that, like, these people are having this profoundly dramatic experience and you know they're going to feel differently about it uh,
1: just a couple yeah. of years down the line. He's very interested with time. Totally. You know...
0: Well, Yes.
1: That, I mean, I just sort of put that together now. I mean, like, of course, he's he's heralded for um, boyhood, which is like he literally shot over a course of time. But yep. on the like on a more like uh, micro level, like, you know, this one being one day fast or not fast times. Uh, Dazed and Confused. Dazed and Confused is one day. Um, the one we just watched or the one I just watched. Everybody was, Wants
0: Some is the three days before it's college. a
1: weekend. Yeah. Can we just talk about some negative things for a sec? Yeah, sure. I mean, I feel like we're just like going to town on its like great qualities.
0: Would one negative thing might be that uh, the sound of Ethan Hawke's leather jacket can never be erased from my ear drums?
1: Well, I think it's just a bigger thing for me, but like along those lines, is that uh-huh. Ethan Hawke is such like a greasy, pretentious fuck that it's it's <laughs> it's often hard to sympathize with him. Yes. Oh, I, I don't think he's not a well-drawn character and he's not, like, acted perfectly by Ethan Hawke. I just think the character that is created is at sometimes, like, not very sympathetic, yet Celine still goes along with that.
0: Especially because... He is so pretentious And so like for having these supposedly Enlightened ideas about gender roles She's such a like bigger thinker than he is And yet he talks So much more than her and like over her
1: Right and I can't Tell if the movie is like aware Of that or not
0: I think that the, from someone who watched Sunrise and Sunset on the same weekend, the biggest favor that Sunset could possibly do for this movie is to let you know that this guy became sort of like a self-conscious, slightly embarrassed writer. So this is like the unfiltered kind of like you know, talky version of him.
1: I don't know. She's a. There's something about her that also... Towards the end, like, tw- I-, I feel like she sort of, we're on her level for most of the movie, and things are sort of on her terms, and that feels nice. But mm-hmm. then, of course, she has, like, a weird, like, sudden emotional response to him, which, like, I don't know. I didn't know how to feel yeah. about it. Like, the train scene, like, is such a big scene. It requires so much. I know, it got close, but I don't know if it, like, it, it almost felt like a flat flat note there in the the climax. But that was that was the one thing that like you have to be in a point in your life where you believe that like you could find love.
0: That's true. I do love their faces though and it's so interesting to think about even outside of the context of the trilogy um that Ethan Hawke is so excessively boyish at this point in his life. It's just, like, yeah. so, like, how is your face? That smooth guy with that, like, ratty-ass, like, goatee. Um, and, but she, Delpy's face, there is, like, su- su- a very old person, like, within her eyes and, like, her features. So I think this movie is good, good. I do not think it is as good as Before Sunset because I think Before Sunset is genius. But in like a very, um, I don't know, in a in a sentimental, can you take these postgraduates' um, love seriously with some great asides uh, and a beautiful city and good dialogue? I think it's good. Good.
1: Yeah, it's like I would say it's good. Good too. It's a little bit boring. But the performances are really good, if not a little infuriating. But I think it's <laughs> it's definitely like, it's definitely a good good. What a like a uh, seemingly unnecessary sequel apologist you are. What do you mean? For you think that the sequel to this is better than this one?
0: Oh, definitely.
1: Interesting. I'm gonna like maybe that's what I'll do for sleepy TV tonight.
0: No, you got to stay awake to see how genius it is, Noah. <laughs> What's next on the docket, big guy? 2009's uh, A Single Man, a Tom Ford film, or so said every like piece of literature and visual about it.
1: Yeah, every other, every other title card is uh, a film by Tom Ford.
0: I started watching the movie and was then like, wait, that Tom Ford? And then I watched a little differently after that.
1: You had like, I didn't have any cultural knowledge of Tom Ford before this film. I mean, after this film, I, of course, Googled him.
0: I just knew, yeah, I knew him but I didn't su- know suits him. and glasses cases.
1: Right. But I didn't know anything about, like, his, like, I know that he has, like, sort of trendy stuff. But I didn't even know, like, what his visual aesthetic was. Thank God it was the visual aesthetic of this movie, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to go very far. You just watched 90 minutes of it. Okay, so
1: the setup to this one is that we're following Colin Firth yeah. in a day in his life. And there are some flashbacks too To establish the fact that this guy Is dealing with the depression Following the death of his lover And his lover was male And they're in 1960s And You can't be gay in the 1960s In this uh, California suburb In this Los Angeles suburb Or in Santa Monica So he's like feeling bad about this He's also a college professor So you see him wake up in the morning He goes through his his ritual Then he goes to work at this college. She interacts with Julianne Moore. Then he has dinner with her. And there's things going on otherwise. And you sort of piece together that this guy is planning his suicide. So finally, the movie sort of presents itself of this is going to be the day this guy kills himself. And then that doesn't quite happen. Not quite. And um, I guess the where the, the one day romance comes in is he meets this student Thomas Holt Nicholas Holt Nicholas Holt Thomas Holt is the guy from uh, Amadeus Nicholas Holt uh, who's one of his students who gives him a reminder that maybe love is out there
0: Yeah there are a couple of different ways in which I think this movie you could say it sort of it sort of fits in like you get you you get a sense of his love for Jim and their meet cute like in the course of a day. Um you could argue that uh his like re romances with the world. He has like a mini re romance, he has a mini romance with this like prostitute he briefly
1: meets. Oh yeah. It definitely
0: has the it has the bones. Of this genre In a couple different ways you could say
1: Yeah that's why I think it fits the genre If anyone is skeptical that it does That it it sort of has the tropes There's the one day thing in place And it's sort of analyzing the question Which I think all three of them endeavor to On like a bigger macro scale Is does love actually exist
0: I was never terribly fond of waking up I was never one to jump out of bed And greet the day with a smile like Jim was I used to want to punch him sometimes in the morning. He was so happy. I always used to tell him that only fools greet the day with a smile, that only fools could possibly escape the simple truth that now isn't simply now. It's a cold reminder. One day later than yesterday, one year later than last year, and that sooner or later
1: it will come. He used to laugh at me and then give me a kiss on the cheek.
0: Let's talk about the the look of this movie, since it is the only movie directed by uh, Tom Ford, who actually has another one coming out this year called Nocturnal Animals. It'll be his second.
1: Yeah, it's got Jelen Hall, um, so many other people. It's going to be great. Amy
0: Adams. Yes. Anyway, um, the aesthetics of this movie are very obviously those of a fashion designer, in the sense that everything is... Sort of beautiful looks as earth tone, but looks as though it's been ordered out of a out of a catalog. Oh, like very a Tom fine... Ford
1: catalog.
0: Yeah, maybe that would be one. Um, but very fine lines. It's almost I, I thought in some ways like the uh, the rectangle of the of the shots of the screen were almost just like another rectangle to frame rectangles that Tom Ford had set up in doors and beds and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's 62, so you very well might recognize this aesthetic from Mad Men. And actually, sometimes when George is in silhouette, George is the Colin Firth character, he even looks like the Draper silhouette from the title sequence. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: I think it's so interesting, too, um, the idea that this is he almost has the same miniaturism as a Wes Anderson, I would say.
0: Uh yeah, kind of, but like to no like genre or fantastical end.
1: Right, right. But his is more like fashion industry sort of catalog miniaturism, whereas Wes Anderson's is more as like fucked up child's playroom uh, <laughs> miniaturism.
0: I think where I enjoyed Tom Ford at the helm the most was an underlying tone of Isherwood's 1964 novel that this is based on. Is the um is sort of like George sort of railing against commercialism and authoritarianism and like the the of course anti-gay sentiments of the time, but also like the Cuban Missile Crisis is like looming um, as this movie is happening. So, but what happens is like sometimes when George like looks around at his neighbors who are living that sort of um, uh, Draper family when Don is not home, life mm-hmm. Tom Ford shoots it like almost like satirical commercials and he's very adept at doing that because like he has been at the helm of commercial images so, like that's a really cool side note that kind of pushes this movie
1: certainly along. yeah yeah i love those those slow motion shots that like yeah they look like fake commercials but they're supposed to be like these dreamlike moments that we supposedly have
2: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Can
1: I say but on the other side of that What really pissed me off about Tom Ford Was those stupid Like fade to saturation Moments do you remember those When he like George sees that There's like color in the world Moments Oh yeah which is like it was cool Once but like the fact that it's He has those moments like in every Scene like after the last or after The first 20 minutes of the movie Is just sort of annoying well, those are
0: exactly, I think, and it, it fits into our rating system. Um, I think those things are, have like brilliant technical merit to them, but there is something about the, the style of this movie is so foregrounded that it's not always easy to watch. Or like, It's not always easy to feel like you're kind of flowing through the story. It feels like you're supposed to take notice of this person's
1: visual choices. And I also think that the visual choices seem to like way more heavily than anything really happening in the narrative sense. Mm -hmm. Like that was sort of, I've seen this movie several times, but I haven't seen it for a few years and rewatching it now. I was like surprised about how, how like little happens and how little like anyone really like grows. And I've read the, the novella that it's based on and it's not much different, but it's also like not a full movie. It's, it's maybe like 120 or 140 pages. So you can sort of do more Mm -hmm. internally. But there are certain limitations of, you know, between writing and movies. It's like in movies, like stuff has to happen.
0: Sure well I own that book too I picked it up last night and read like the first Like 50 pages and the thing That's so great about it is is George's Voice right and That's the thing like in some ways the camera Needs to stand in for George's voice and it does not It stands in for Tom Ford's ideas
1: Right well I mean I think that's why they Needed to have the somewhat lazy voiceover Um Yeah Yeah. but then like I don't know the voiceover Is so melodic but then that same Sort of like overdone voiceover dialogue, it sort of sneaks its way into the actual lines of the film. Mm -hmm. You know, like when they, he uses the flashback moments, especially I loved visually again, it was visually stunning them on that rock. Yeah. Yeah. It's like beautiful, beautiful to watch, but like, it also distracts you from the fact that like, it's not a very good scene. Like, Of two people talking to each other It's him doing a lot of expositional Like oh why is Julianne Moore In this movie well we were Lovers once and uh, it meant A lot more to her than it did to me Uh, True And so I feel like Tom Ford In your parlance chance is So good at sometimes literally Shining a light at us (laughs) When sometimes he just like Does not know how to handle Because I think he did the adaptation Himself didn't he
0: Yet had a co-writer credit, yeah
1: So, I just don't think he knew what to do with a lot of this book Sure But knew how to, like, make pretty things that people like So he washes them out on this rock Like, it's interesting to watch them talk And it's interesting to see what they're wearing And how, like, in shape yeah. they both are But ultimately, it's to distract you from the fact That, like, we need to set up this latter half of the movie And, oops, we didn't actually establish who Julianne Moore is right um,
0: it was really I think a very telling example of that was I was, uh, you know, just p- going through the Wikipedia page and there was there was controversy over whether this movie was sort of living up to the uh, the gay protagonist and his relationships of of the book and and Tom Ford said he did not see this movie in the context of gay or straight and I was like well then guy you sure
1: didn't get the book right. <laughs> I mean like that's that is ultimately the conflict. I mean I'm I like that he said that and I like that it's not like just a gay because I don't think it's just a gay movie. I think it's a movie about right. getting over a forbidden relationship, but that forbidden relationship happens to be uh homosexuality in the 1960s.
0: Well yeah, and and the the idea of the like the very um Decentralized Like Constructionist idea Of George putting himself together And being invisible In the world Has everything to do With his sexuality
1: Right I tell you what I love I thought my favorite scene I thought a brilliantly acted And a brilliantly written scene Was this scene with him On the phone With John Hamm When he finds yes. out That the his lover is dead in that flashback. And then he goes running through the rain. I mean, that was a little much, but just the scene of his face reacting to the news and him also like the family also telling him that I know you've lived with this guy for the better part of 16 years, but you can't come to his funeral because it's a family only affair.
0: I love that you pointed out that specific moment too, because I think it's one of the finer. There's a great line about where George is saying when he looks in the mirror in the morning he uh there's not so much a face staring back at him but the expression of a predicament yeah which is exactly what like all the best colin firth parts are like so yeah i mean he's so perfect for this like you can never there's always like this very like a mannered battle in most colin firth parts about like not being able to say what's inside of him
1: um certainly not yeah and it's
0: perfect in that scene that you talked about too because when When he gets the news, like, his first reaction is not to burst into tears. He almost kind of sits there, like, disappointed looking. Like, someone told him that they can't install the cable till Wednesday or something. Yeah. So, where are you coming down rating-wise?
1: Oof. You go first.
0: Well, I think I would say good-bad. I already talked about how the visuals... um, I mean, I think it's a good movie. I definitely do. But I think the visuals get in the way at a certain point and the like you talked about like trying to adapt a first person narrator into um very telling flashbacks uh also sort of gets in the way and you know there are just like certain things that kind of like Nagged at me that I think I don't want to experience very much again. Like it's sort of like excessively sentimental moments like uh Nicholas Holt being like, Isn't blue supposed to be spiritual when he's like buying him a pencil sharpener? Like what are you talking about? Blue in the in the context of like America? Like what are you talking about? And then like so much Sir. He calls him oh, Sir like the Sirs a
1: hundred times. Um I was waiting for a moment where he's like, You can stop calling me Sir just for the oh, sake God. of the audience, if not me personally. <laughs>
0: Um, I think once you've taken stock of the form And you understand what this movie is doing And you've appreciated the shots I don't necessarily see why you'd uh, be rushing to watch it again Which, as you heard in our newly recorded segment Is one of our criteria So probably a uh, plight good-bad from me
1: See, I think it's the opposite for the same reasons I think that all the things you're talking about make it not a well-made movie and then even like I just said in the narrative sense like I think it's you know a thousand feet wide but about an inch deep hmm. and I thought it was entertaining as hell to watch these like guys wear these, like, great suits and these great outfits and, like, smoking cigarettes and getting drunk in the 60s and, like, everyone's, like, freaking out and putting on eye makeup and close-up. And it's just, like, a, it's a tonal thing. It's more of, like, a a mood piece. And on that level, I thought it was just, like, a fun experience, like, being with this movie for 90 minutes or however long it lasts. But then when you actually analyze it the way we were doing, it is not a well-made movie. So bad good from me.
0: Well, friend, um, this brings us to the end. Yeah, wait, so are, are, uh, are we gonna see each other again?
1: I would love if we could, you know, maybe in five years or so meet back in uh, <laughs> on this respective uh, FaceTime chat and uh, yeah, we can we can discuss movies if you'd like, maybe the ones we've seen. Well, listeners,
0: uh, thanks so much for uh, hanging with us here And for uh, spying on our first date Just the way we did to all these people These uh, presidents and teenagers and uh, grieving men Um, Listen to past episodes of the show Which we'd love you to do at berealguys.com SoundCloud, iTunes, all the normal places You can follow us on Twitter at berealguys Uh, That's uh, real with two E's, like a film reel You can email us at berealguys at gmail.com. Huge thanks once again to April Wolf for doing the show. Uh, What a pleasure to talk to her. And uh, I think that is all that I have to say. Noah? Sir, Uh, this has always been a
1: pleasure.